0: Welcome to 30-Minute Theology, where we discuss the basics of Catholic belief and practice. I am your host, John Bacon, and with me today is my friend, Brother Mark. Mark, how are you doing today? John, I am doing well. It's a beautiful, sunny day here. It is. And we get to talk about Mary. Yeah, you know, here in Montana, we're probably tempted to worship the sun when we see it, so... Today is a great day. Well, today we are talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary, and um, some of our listeners, I'm sure, are really excited. Some are uh, cynical. I would like to begin with the question, why does our church focus so much on Mary? Is this not a distraction from her son, Jesus? Okay, John, if I can interrupt you right off the bat, I think my my
1: first response to that Uh when I hear that is, okay, well, is any biblical character distraction answer no like yeah. there, there's a, every person in the bible because it's like well she distracts you from jesus if you're if you're talking to mary or you know you, it, it's about jesus okay but the bible is full of characters that we emulate we honor uh we we follow we listen to so if it's a fear that you're going to distract from jesus like well then the apostles. The apostles are clearly are distracting us from Jesus yeah. because we're fo- so so focused on their words yeah and not the words of the red letter edition of the Bible. Mhm. No. I just get a little
0: obviously I get a little <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, um I agree with you that it, we should not presume that it's a distraction from Jesus to focus on people who remind us of him. I definitely agree with that. I think some people would perhaps still have a little bit of reticence. They say, okay, I get it. Mary's holy. Hopefully they get that. Um, their next question would be, why Why is it necessary to establish dogmas hmm. about the Blessed Virgin Mary? Because um, I do know of a lot of churches where you probably hear the Apostle Paul mentioned as frequently as Jesus. Or more. Um, Or more, that's true. Uh, But in those churches, they probably they've never sensed a compulsion to establish a dogma about the Apostle Paul. Which, to be honest, I don't know what it would be. Um, But um, why why does the church feel that it's not weird to make pronouncements about Mary's role or um, about who she is as a person? Well, I think it's her uniqueness. There's there's so many areas that you're going to unpack
1: for us that. Uh, she is just a unique figure in history, and and, and
0: in, in in the scriptural in the plan of redemption, scriptural narrative, she is. And I I certainly believe you see it in scripture itself if yeah. we let ourselves read scripture at a, in a straightforward manner. But you certainly, I there's no church father that I've ever read who doesn't make a point of Mary. Right. So if um. If a focus on the Blessed Virgin is like some sort of later pagan addition to Catholicism, well, by later, you're going to have to say like later, like 90 AD, okay? Like, because that's how early it is. And I think there are a couple reasons why uh, the church doesn't feel weird, uh, but feels actually a theological necessity to reflect on Mary. And to um, Luke describes how Mary pondered all these things in her heart. I think that the church believes that as Mary ponders the mystery of Christ in her heart, that by sort of entering her heart in a sense, that there's there's something to be gained in that. And here's why. As you said, Mark, I think the first thing is she has a unique relationship to Jesus Christ. And this is to bring us back to analogy. Mary is like us because she is unlike us. Jesus is the only human being who chose his biological mother. Okay. He, he in a sense, uh, that word elect, predestined, chose, whatever however you're going to translate that, Jesus chose his mother. Mm. Um, that's something that Jesus chose us to be part of his body, his disciples, but he literally chose to mm. derive his humanity from her. Mm. And we understand that, of course, Jesus is her creator, but that doesn't change the fact that he chose her to be his, Of all the creatures God has created, he chose her to be uh, his mother in the same way that the father chose Mary to be um, the particular daughter through which his son would become incarnate. The Holy Spirit would overshadow her womb. So there is a particular relationship to Mary that brings Christ to the world she literally comes to us i mean he christ literally comes to us through mary's womb right and uh, and you can we see this reflected in some of the early christological
1: and trinitarian discussions of the early church so uh you know was she christotokos or was she theotokos yes uh, meaning christ bearer tokos meaning bearer. we see the the bearer of the christ or is she the bearer of God? And as the church argued about this, there were, there were church fathers who said, no, she's, she's Christotokos. She's the bearer of the Christ. And the church said, no, um, we're going to call her uh, Theotokos. She is the bearer of God. And that was because the person, it was more of an honorific because of who Jesus is, that yeah. the, the, the person, the baby that she bore was not just the Christ.
0: The baby she wore bore was God himself. That's a really good jumping in point. So what Mark is talking about is the Council of Ephesus, which I believe took place in four fifty one
1: AD. Uh, that was Kel in four thirty one. Ephesus was four thirty one.
0: No. Really? Nicaea three
1: twenty five. Constantinople three eighty one. Ephesus right. 4- Ephesus four
0: thirty one. Four thirty one. Okay. Four thirty one. This is Did you say four thirty one? No, I don't know. Okay, 431, and then Chalcedon was 451. But we got it right. This is okay. the third ecumenical council, the Council of Ephesus, which was not about the Virgin Mary. It was about yeah. Christ. Um, and this is a good jumping in point about the, the theological argument was about the relationship of Christ's divine nature to his human nature. Right. And this was how one of the people with iffy theology got spotted out. He was uncomfortable with a term already used in the church's hymnography. The church was already singing hymns to the Blessed Virgin Mary under the title of Theotokos, which in Greek literally means God-bearer. He didn't like that. He preferred Christokos, Christ-bearer, which shouldn't be different if you have proper Christology. The fact that he saw God and Christ as being different is already ringing bells but it became a theological debate about what did Mary give birth to yeah. and it was well, I'm trying to remember too many names at once it was st. Cyril who said quote at the council mothers give birth to per- persons not natures <laughs> Mary's not the mother of Jesus' humanity she is the mother of Jesus himself yeah. so this is an interesting um, illustration of how because Christ derives his human nature through the Virgin Mary from his conception in her womb, um, We, when we get in these really profound meditations on what Christ's humanity is, we're implicitly considering the Virgin Mary. And likewise, when we reflect on the Virgin Mary, her role in salvation history, And her sort of, uh, I got in trouble for using this word at men's night, but ontology, which ontos means being. When we reflect on the Virgin Mary's being, we are implicitly reflecting on Christ as well. So she has a unique relationship to Jesus Christ, but she also has a unique relationship to us. And we will walk through this through specific Bible passages, but St. Augustine of Hippo reminds us that Mary is the mother of God because she is Christ's first disciple. That she received the word by faith in her heart and thus conceived him in her womb. Hmm. Because we're going to look at the Annunciation, but um, she didn't say, hey, that's weird, I don't know about this whole conceiving God business. She responded with humility and said, well, I'm your servant, let it be as you have spoken that um mary is the first disciple so when we reflect on mary we're reflecting on uh, christ's humanity we're also reflecting on what discipleship consists of because Mm -hmm. the virgin mary um christ doesn't call peter and james and john until first he's called out to mary will you bear me you would you like to add to that Mark, before we jump into some typology? Uh, no, I like to get to the typology. That's where it's going to get fun. Yeah, Well, it is. okay. I, I Okay.
1: Um, yeah, it's it, it, certainly implicit in his humanity, but I, I like the way Luke describes the conception narrative when he tells Mary, the Holy Spirit is going to come, he's going to overshadow you. Mm-hmm. And so you see that hovering type imagery uh, from Genesis 1-2. The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, mm-hmm. and that was a creation event. And so... Uh, you see that kind of happening with Mary as well.
0: But, okay, let's get to typology. So last episode, we talked about St. Irenaeus, and um, St. Irenaeus had beautiful typology on Jesus Christ. Uh, what a lot of people may not know and be surprised to see is if you read St. Irenaeus, who helps establish orthodoxy, right belief in the church, defends the biblical interpretation of the apostles and the gospel that they preached, he has so much typology. About Mm -hmm. the Virgin Mary and uh, we're gonna circle back to this Bible story but think about this historically so Jesus from the cross some of his last dying words and we'll unpack the theology of this in a moment but he looks at the Apostle John the beloved disciple and he says to Apostle John behold your mother and then he looks at Mary he doesn't call her Mary he calls her woman this is the Eve typology we're about to discuss he says woman behold your son, and John writes in his gospel that from that day forward he took the Virgin Mary into his home. Yeah. So the Apostle John is Christ's disciple and friend to whom he entrusted his mother. The Apostle John disciples Polycarp. Polycarp disciples Irenaeus. So we understand how Irenaeus has a, um, a one-step removed link to the Apostle John, yeah. and he's inherited a certain understanding of yeah. John's Gospel based on the values that would have been transmitted to him. But it's not unique to Irenaeus. So we understand why Irenaeus would have a good reason to share John's view of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Justin Martyr and Tertullian, who are both second-century church fathers, just about 30 years removed from the Apostle John's death, they use virtually identical language mm. to what Justin Martyr I mean, to uh, Irenaeus. And these three men, they live in different parts of the Roman Empire. They're not connected geographically. They are drawing on a shared apostolic tradition when they refer to Mary as the second Eve. So um, last episode, we talked about Christ as the new Adam. If, if, John, if I can interrupt you make a, a comment yeah. about the, that interpretation. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, when people don't see that, mm-hmm. that... Okay, here, here's where Mary becomes, like, the mother of all, all believers. And yeah. you've got that episode with John that, well, G- again, it's that straightforward reading that, well, John is just taking her in. And Jesus is asking her, John, to care for his mother, okay, because she's, she's yeah. lost her eldest son. But culturally, that is so out of line yeah. because Jesus has stepbrothers, yeah, Mary's to physically care for Mary would have been the job of the family or the next eldest in Joseph's line. Yeah. So for Jesus to give her to John and John to her, uh, he is he is clearly making a typological statement. This is there's something uh, spiritual happening here, something sacramental. This is not just about who's going to care for Mary and make sure she's fed and clothed and has a roof exactly. over her head.
0: This is not merely practical. This is not merely practical or literal. So there's a Lutheran scholar who says that this uh, action of Jesus, it proves two things. Number one, it proves Mary's perpetual virginity, because if Christ had brothers and sisters from Mary, what he did would have been illegal, (laughs) because he was was just violating kinship law if he had kin by blood. He did not. Thus, he selects someone. But... Jesus knew he was going to die from the beginning. I mean, think about all the times he told his apostles, and they were incredulous. Well, Jesus knew he was going to. And I think it's safe to conclude, based on our theology, the Virgin Mary knew, based on all the prophecies made to her yeah. <laughs> by Saint Simeon. Um, so, um, if this was merely taking care of his mother, Christ could have told the blessed mother, "Hey, I've picked John for you." If he chooses to this to be one of his dying words on the cross this has significance not simply for that moment but it's a message that he wants all Christians to listen into but uh before we get to that dimension of her being Eve let's begin with the Annunciation and look at why would the Church Fathers say as just a matter of stating the obvious that Mary is a second Eve You want me to take that, Mark? Here we go. Well, I'll continue. So um, you remember the temptation we discussed in this podcast. The serpent, who is a fallen angel, comes to Eve and appeals to her lack of knowledge and to her pride. And Eve consents to the temptation, and she conceives within her womb spiritual death original Mm -hmm. sin is transmitted from adam and eve well think about the blessed virgin mary she's a virgin like eve and who comes to her but an angel gabriel Mm -hmm. who says something shocking and how does she respond not in disbelief but belief and not in pride but in humility Mm -hmm. So I meant to begin this podcast with it's First um, John 3.16. Most Christians know John 3.16 for God's so of the world, that he gave his only begotten son, mm-hmm. that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. I think Christians should know First John 3.16, for this is why Christ appeared, to destroy the works of the devil. If anyone's ever read the book, of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it has a beautiful image of how uh, the reign of the witch queen, who's an image of Satan, her wintry spell begins melting prior to Aslan's death. So Christ is healing people before he dies on the cross. In an analogous manner to that, Christ is already destroying the works of the devil through the woman. Why? Why would he do that? Because the devil's work uh, began not through Adam but through Eve. So before the second Adam the last Adam, as he is called by St. Paul, begins accomplishing his public um, ministry, Christ is already acting through his mother as the second Eve. Through Mary's obedience to the word of God delivered to her by the angel Gabriel, she is effectively reversing the disobedience of Eve. Right. So she is... uh, Eve's sort of uh, mirror image and by virtue of being her mirror image, she is Eve's opposite because she undoes the fruit of Eve's sin by consenting to bear the word of God, Jesus within her womb. So um, that takes us to some second Eve imagery in the Annunciation that uh, Jewish readers of the Gospel would have recognized Um, but let's come forward to the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John, Jesus' first sign, he refers to Mary as woman, and in his last sort of public sign, his death on the cross, he refers to Mary as woman. These are the two bookends of John's Gospel, and, um... Jesus does not have a sort of strained relationship. It's not like me calling my mom "woman" in disdain. This is an archetypal term because when Adam and Eve met one another, they literally referred to one another as "man and woman," "ish and isha." Adam and Eve is a change of their name after the fall. Well, Christ is without sin. We'll come in a moment to why Mary is without sin, but He is the last Adam and She is the last Eve. So when He refers to her as "woman," he is making a statement about her vocation as woman. And John I, I hate to keep pounding the
1: table with this but uh-huh. uh, it, again I think the the reason that this is important is and we can you know you go well okay yeah why is all this important it seems like it's splitting theological hairs you're using language eh, so yeah. what the nature of salvation is on the line here. It's true. It it it, it and we've really I think we would be so much better off if we got in our heads and in our hearts this idea that salvation and the 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 very nature of salvation is not I, I pray a prayer and one day I'm going somewhere to another place, it's about who we're becoming. That's right. And and uh, the, our salvation, a partaking of the nature of you becoming like Him, and all of this. Your favorite word, ontological. There's a yep. there's an ontologicalness to this. And it's about the being, the very nature of salvation, the very nature of who we are and what we're becoming. And the, this, the transformative understanding of salvation, that it's new creation being raised from the dead in Christ, sharing his nature, taking on his life. I think it will change everything for the church.
0: I agree. Well, and that's, that's actually a good point to make, Mark. Thank you for bringing that yeah. up, because salvation really is a transformation of our being. And we should really pause to reflect on what we are saying of ourselves. The astounding thing we dare claim for ourselves when we refer to ourselves as Christians or as uh, belonging to the body of Christ, which are one and the two, same. they're the same thing. But a Christian literally means a little Christ, uh, which Christians did not invent that word for themselves. It was coined as an insult, likely in Antioch by community. Look at those little Christs. but Scripture talks to us over and over again as members of Christ's body. And if salvation is to participate in Christ's being, i.e. his divine nature and his human nature, that means that we really do take on Christ's parentage. The reason Christ commands us to pray our Father is because we are incorporated into Christ's own life and thus into his own being. We come to share in Christ's sonship, and I think very often people have a sort of consumeristic view of God, that mm. God like uses people and then kind of disposes of them, mm. which is a really low view of God, and I don't think it's a uh, good view of sainthood either, yeah. that what God identifies a person as and the vocation he gives to them is eternal. So Mary is still Christ's mother in heaven. So mm. if we dare call God father because we have been incorporated in the body of Christ how m- much more should we be willing to s- call Mary mother yeah. because it's it's really a statement of our belonging to Christ our incorporation into Christ yeah and and this
1: has such missional impact as well I'll get a little off the the topic here but um, so, so often, sometimes we think of missions or sharing the gospel or, or uh, communicating our faith to people, and you know, and Paul does use the word ambassador. We go as ambassadors. We're mm-hmm. you know we're duly deputized to represent Jesus. Okay, fine. Paul does use that, mm-hmm. but. When Mother Teresa was asked, you know, what are you doing in Calcutta? Mm -hmm. She said, I'm being Jesus to them. There was this understanding of, and she said this, you know, when I put my hand on the leper, when I kiss their face, when I hold them, it is the hands and the feet of Jesus yeah, because of her understanding of what it meant to become like him, so she was not going simply as a deputized ambassador, mm-hmm. she went to be Jesus in that community, and I think that's part of the transformational thing that you're talking about. Uh, who we are, how important it is to see ourselves as this becoming, and it, yeah, it freaks people out. Well, you're little Christ, well, what you this is not some new age thing, yeah. This is the understanding that, you know, God became man,
0: that man might become God. We're becoming what he was or, or is. That's correct. Yeah. And I think that this unlocks for us um, the significance of John chapter 19, when from the cross mm-hmm. Christ says, woman, behold your son. Yeah. Uh, John, behold your mother, or son, behold your mother. So if we think about Eve's formation, her creation, She's created from the metaphorical death of Adam, that God places Adam in a deep sleep, and f- from his side, um, he forms Eve. Well, during Christ's death, um, once, once he's died on the cross, they want to see if he's dead or not. A Roman soldier, this is in John's Gospel, pierces a lance into his side, and outflow water and blood, which are the two dominical sacraments of the Eucharist and baptism but it makes sense of why christ identifies a new relationship between john and mary at the moment of his death because her vocation as the mother of christ is being transformed into the mother of all christians through his death because it is through christ's death and resurrection that the apostle john and every other apostle and every other christian throughout the age Receives the right to become a child of God. And I think about how John begins his gospel. He talks about how we are born not according to the flesh, but by the will of God. So there is this constant linkage between Christ's conception and our conception, which is supernatural, which means that the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary are actually involved in our spiritual regeneration as much as the incarnation of christ mark do you have any more words about exegesis before
1: sure uh we talked about last last uh, episode we talked about uh typology and i don't know you've maybe you've heard this I, i've heard sermons on that episode that word jesus is pierced and outcome blood and water and all kinds of medical studies to so see this shows the the, the Proof only an eyewitness so jesus really had yeah. to have been crucified because uh when you're tortured to that degree your f- uh, fluids fill up in your bodily cavity but and so this just shows the the truth of how he was how he really died and you go oh my gosh do you think J- john is telling you he's telling you he saw the crucifixion some sort of medical 21st century medical detail yeah. like yeah Okay, yeah, there's the face value literal reading that blood and water came out. Is that really what we think John is trying to communicate? That, see, we're going to find out way in the future that science will prove that this is yeah. what happens to a tortured body. No, it's the birth of the church. Exactly. Coming out of the, what John is intending to communicate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When, the, when the blood and water come out of the side of
0: Jesus, what you are witnessing is the birth of the church. That's right. So I'll give one more example of one more typological reading and then just say a word about the fittingness and indeed the necessity of Catholic dogmas about the Virgin Mary. The other new, big New Testament passage we haven't hit on is Revelation chapter 12, which is all about the Virgin Mary. Um, Chapter divisions are useful, but something added to Scripture. So if you read Revelation without the chapter... Editions. you would come to um, Revelation chapter 11 first, and this changes the way you read Revelation chapter 12. This Bible I have is just filled with weird encyclopedia notes. Here we go. It says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. Next verse. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a crown of 12 stars. I want to pause right there. Mary is the Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. Why? Okay, first, because the Apostle John just said so. Second, because what does the Ark of the Covenant bear? Mm -hmm. It is basically the womb that contains the presence of God to the people of God. So this is a reminder that typology about Christ, it extends to his mother as it extends to the rest of his redemptive activity. Because Mary, in her person and her activity, is part of Christ's redemptive activity. So um, this is just one more ingredient that needs to be remembered. So I would like to look at four dogmas about the Virgin Mary. I cannot at all do them justice in two minutes, but here we go. The perpetual virginity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, her immaculate conception, her assumption into heaven, and that she is the mediatrix of all graces. I recognize that these sound like heresy to Protestants, but I would like to make a few observations about why the church has affirmed these. Number one, they are affirmed historically. You can find patristic examples of all of these. Secondly, because of a typological reading of Scripture. We do not read searching for proof texts that say Mary was conceived without sin. If the Bible was written that way, it would be an encyclopedia and not the Bible. We theologically consider the subtlety of what the evangelists say about Mary and uh, Christ's becoming human. And we look at the subtlety of the um, Ark of the Covenant. But in addition to thinking exegetically, thinking scripture, we also think... Christologically, that what does it mean that Christ and Mary share the same human nature? So these things are not so much building blocks as much as they're all puzzle pieces, that if one piece goes, it it really damages the integrity of the others and thus has direct impact on our understanding of Christ's humanity and his work of redemption. Were you wanting to add anything to that, no. Mark? No. One more word about this. Um, I believe that uh, maybe this podcast is not, but if this podcast consulted in addition to other resources I'll recommend, demonstrates that seeing Mary as Eve or as the Ark of the Covenant is not a weird thing projected onto the Bible by Catholics, but an organic reading of scripture. Um, Dogmas like her Immaculate Conception do emerge. And when we come to the assumption, there's, there are two things I have to keep in mind. Number one, Revelation 12 describes your assumption into heaven. So it's in the Bible. But secondly, God keeps his word, and the fruit of sin is death. So if someone is conceived without original sin, and then through obedience deliberately chooses to remain without sin, it is not within God's economy for them to die. Now there are is a patristic telling of how Mary chose death, consented to death because she did she wanted to be like her son, yeah. which is very much keeping in character of everything we know about the Blessed Virgin Mary. But nonetheless, her assumption into heaven is not weird and like beyond the pale of how God deals with His people, but actually exactly how God deals with His people, that He keeps His promises, and this brings it back to where we began with. Mary has a unique role to Christ, but she also has a unique role to us. She is assumed into heaven, not only because of her uniqueness, but because of her ordinariness. Because what is the Virgin Mary? She is an icon of what every creature is meant to become. Christ is uncreated, but he chooses humanity. Mary, on the other hand, is created. Mary has a role in heaven, Mary is glorified in heaven. Jesus' purpose of incarnation and death and resurrection and ascension for us is for us to become glorified in body and soul and to participate in the works of God, like the Virgin Mary. So the Virgin Mary, she points us to the work of Christ historically in the past. She points us to Christ's work in the present, but she also points to Christ's work in the future, which is to make saints of us as well. I think that, John, I think that's probably the the most important point, the takeaway.
1: She points to when yeah. people get tripped up on on Mary. It's like I said at the beginning, uh, you know, well, she's a distraction. Well, if that's the case, then every biblical character would be a distraction. Yeah. But what is it pointing towards? Christ's nature? Like more than any other biblical figure. Mm-hmm. You know, Abraham, he's an example of faith. Paul is an example of doing stuff for Jesus. Um but in terms of who Jesus was in his nature, mm-hmm. she points to that. So there, there's so many things that she points to in terms of the person, the work, uh, the accomplishments of Jesus that uh, there, I think that's part of the uniqueness too. All biblical characters, we can learn something and they point to, mm-hmm. but if, if that's what we looked for, that function of saying, okay, well, what can we learn about Jesus? What can we learn about the nature of salvation? What can we learn about this whole thing that we're doing? Yeah, uh, There's...
0: There's the positive point. So if anybody's getting really tripped up, I mean that's what you can take away. I do think that reflection on the Blessed Virgin Mary does expose some of our internal inconsistencies. For instance, I know that, for myself included, when people are exposed to this idea of the Immaculate Conception for the first time, it makes Mary appear less human. Why? Mm. Because like Adam and Eve, she was formed without sin. Now, when the Vatican... Defined Mary's Immaculate Conception. It points out this is obviously not something she earned. It right. was a singular grace given to her. But it exposes within me that I see sin as like part of like what it means to be human, and that's not true. Hmm. Is Jesus less human? Is Jesus less my priest because he didn't sin? Or does that actually make him more authentically human? Right. And I think we don't recognize some of the projections we place onto Jesus apart from these dogmas of the church regarding Mary hmm. that her sinlessness is actually what makes her maternal in the same way that if I become less sinful <laughs> and if I acquire the virtues of Christ like the Blessed Virgin Mary I don't become less myself I become more you myself become more. I don't become more robotic I become more free. free she was not conceived without sin so she had no choice She was conceived to a sin so she would have a choice Mm -hmm. because um, it is only the grace of God which allows us to freely choose between good and evil. And we live in a post-adventive world. We only acquire that grace through Jesus Christ. Likewise, the Virgin Mary acquired that grace Mm -hmm. through Jesus Christ, but from her conception so she could be the pure bearer of the word, like the Ark of the Covenant well we've already gone over time so I would like to recommend some sources and um, Mark pitch in if if you have any you'd like to recommend Um, it comes as no surprise I would recommend Scott Hahn's (laughs) Hell Holy Queen which is an absolutely fantastic book secondly I would recommend the writings of Saint Maximilian Kolbe who is an outstanding martyr and saint of the 20th century and who founded the order of the um, uh, militia immaculata which just sounds awesome. Mark, is there anything you'd like to add to that? or uh,
1: no, no, that sounds good.
0: Excellent. Well, I hope that uh, people would be drawn to our mother, and through being drawn to our mother would be drawn to Christ. Um, whom she always gives for the life of the world.